Welcome. My name is Jose Torres. I'm super glad you guys are here today. I did get the, um, somebody to ask and clarify, what is toilet tag? Um, and so essentially, um, I, we, every week the students ask for mainly the middle schoolers, but toilet tag essentially is freeze tag. And we used to do freeze tag when you would get touched and you would have to stand like this and someone would run through your legs and then you're unfrozen and then you would run again. Toilet tag is when you get touched and you have to freeze and you have to sit like a toilet and have your flusher out. And the only way you can get unfrozen is if you get your flusher flushed and then you can run around. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's toilet tag. So that's GSM. Uh, we are super thankful that we get to lead your students and your kids. And so we just want to say thank you for partnering with us and that. And so uh, thank, you, thank, thank you so much. But uh, as I said, my name is Jose. I'm going to be um, helping you guys along and John uh, again. But before we get there, I just want to ask a question to all of you guys. How many of you, by show of hands, like to camp? Okay. How many of you just hate to camp? How many of you have never been camping? One, Nathan? Man, we're, we're going camping, bud. Um, I love camping. I used to grow up camping with grandma and grandpa. They had the, the, the green uh, Volkswagen bus that had the camper that popped up. Love camping. Well, this summer, we, uh, my family and I got to go on a sabbatical. And when we found out we were doing a sabbatical summer, we got right away to planning our trip. We, wanted, we planned activities we wanted to do, places we wanted to go. And as we were making the list, as we were trying to look at our housing, we wanted to make sure our housing was by all the activities or places we wanted to be at. We wanted to be as close as possible. One of those activities was camping. That first week that we had our sabbatical, we went camping. And so we, we chose uh, the campsite kind of by downtown, by the beach. And lucky for me, it was right by a bike trail. And so that was a really fun time. But what made camping even more exciting and more fun was that we got to do it with friends. Now, we went tent camping, which means we had a tent, and we set that tent up and camped in the tent. Our friends... They go camping in a trailer, and more specifically, an Airstream. And so they have the silver bullet right there, while we have the tent right next to them. And so when we were picking our tent site, though, our campground, we had to be very intentional about where we set up our tent because we wanted to do this together. We wanted to experience camping together. We wanted our door to face their door, their door to face our door. We wanted to be at the fireplace together. We did everything intentional but out of all of it, we wanted to make sure that we were experiencing this weekend, this camping together. And so keep this story in mind. Um, we're going to reference it later. But this goes down in history as one of my favorite weekends ever, even though it rained three out of the four nights on us. So it was great. It was great. It was awesome. So um, today we're, we're going to wrap up uh, kind of John chapter one. And if you've been following along with us, you may be thinking to yourself, now, haven't we already done that. Didn't we do that last week? And, and yeah, you'd be right, but you'd also be wrong because today we are going to finish up John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. If you have your phones, turn them on. Uh, this is the only time I'm going to give you permission to stare at your phone. Uh, go ahead and turn them on, look at chapter 1, and we're going to uh, kind of recap before we get started into what I want to kind of really emphasize today. So we're going to recap with John chapter 1, looking at verse 1, and it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
Now, I love this, because if you look a little closer to it, you see that John copies Genesis 1. He copies Genesis 1 by using the words, in the beginning. And he's very strategic about using those words, in the beginning, because they want to make it known and very clear that God, that Jesus, was with everything in the beginning, that he was part of everything that had happened, the creation, from the beginning, that they were part of everything from the beginning, that all things were made from him, by him, for him, and that he created everything from the beginning, even today. And what's kind of neat, too, is that God, to think that God and Jesus created everything. So when you go home today, kids, adults, when you're driving home, look out the window. Look out your car and just remind yourself how awesome it is that everything that we see was made by God, by our creator, by Jesus, by, by looking out and seeing the trees, uh, the, 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 the birds, the sky, uh, the clouds, the snow. Love it or hate it, it was created by our, I love it. Uh, and even, even look at the sun, you know, but don't do it too long. It, it might, it's not good for you. Uh, but look at that. But even the cool thing, too, is that even you are created by God. So turn to somebody next to you and say, you are created by God. There you go. I think sometimes we forget that. But we are God's masterpiece, and we need to be reminded that we are created by God. But John opens up his gospel. He opens up this gospel, and, and, and he's very intentional of how he uses these words. He's intentional uh, about the words that he uses, and he knows that they're important. And so he says that the word, Jesus, is the creator of everything, and that he became flesh to be with everything that he had created. So now, that's where I want to pick up today. Let's look at verse 14. And verse 14 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So what words do we see here that are light up? Word and flesh. Uh, so those are the words I want to focus on is word and flesh. Word means uh, God. It means everything that makes up God, God. It's his divinity. It's, it's everything about him. And flesh is that God took on flesh to be mankind, to be like us, to be humans, just like us, to be like his creation. And it's really cool to think that our creator, the person, uh, the author of life and everything uh, that we have became like his creation. That's very neat to see. And he didn't have to do that, but because he's a gracious God, he chose to do that. And so you could almost hear John's excitement when you're reading this. You could almost hear his excitement of him saying, hey, did you know that Jesus is both fully God and fully man? Did you know that Jesus is fully God and fully man? That's so cool to think about. That's the power and the miracle of who God is and what he has done for us. So if we go back to first, verse 14, we'll highlight some different parts of this. And it says, the word became flesh and, and made his dwelling among us. Now, what word do we see here that's highlighted? Dwelling, okay? Dwelling to dwell literally means to tent or encamp, to reside as God did in the tabernacle of old. Now, this is awesome. And it would have been even more awesome for the Jewish readers that are reading this. Because prior to Jesus, in the Old Testament, one way that they were able to commune with God was through the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was a tent, and, and, it, and it traveled with God's people in the Old Testament. And when it came time to be in God's presence, they would set up this tent, which was made of three different parts. The outer courts, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Now, the outer courts would be open to everyone. Anyone could kind of come in and, and be there, kind of commune together and be in the presence of each other while they're getting ready to, to be in the presence of God. 
Now, inside the tent was the holy place. And inside the, the holy place, only the priest could kind of be in that area. Uh, you had to make sure that you were a priest, that you got cleaned before you went into this area, and then you were able to go into the tent. But even inside the tent, there was this curtain that was reserved only for the high priest. And beyond that curtain was the Holy of Holies. And this is where we know that God's presence would come and be with the high priest, and then he would be able to communicate uh, with the people of God, or the, his people from God. And what's neat about this is that, uh, neat and scary, is that the Holy of Holies, again, only the high priest could go into that area. And if anybody who wasn't the high priest, or if the high priest was deemed unclean, and if he went into the Holy of Holies, that person could just die because of God's amazingness and awesomeness. Like, you had to be clean and a specific person and follow the right rules so that they knew that when you went in there, that God was ready to be with somebody who was pure and connect with them. And now if, if somebody wasn't the high priest or went in there, they could, they could just fall dead and die. And so some scholars believe that the high priest would get down and tie a rope around his ankle, and then he would go into the Holy of Holies. And why would they do this? Because if he was deemed unclean, he would just drop dead and die. And he can't say, hey, I'm dead in here. So they had to just wait. And if he didn't come out, they had to pull that bad boy out to make sure that they got him out of there because they weren't going to go in there. They're like, he's the high priest. You think I'm going in after him? If he couldn't do it, I ain't going in there. So they would pull him out. And so they believed that this was a, a, a way, uh, the, the safe way to pull him out. But the good news is, the cool thing is, is that if the high priest was going in there and he was clean, this is a time when he got to experience God and God's goodness and God's glory. The tabernacle is where heaven and earth collided. The tabernacle is where God met his people. The tabernacle is where God's people got to experience God. So you can see this exciting news when they said Jesus uh, Jesus dwelling among us uh, was just this exciting news. When he said Jesus was dwelling among us, you can see how amazing that is because John is proclaiming that Jesus is the tabernacle in the flesh. That Jesus is the tabernacle in the flesh. And uh, suddenly, uh, God's people now could approach, could talk to, and be with the presence of God. Now, again, when we went tent camping, we were very intentional about what we wanted, where we put it and what we wanted to do. Yes, we wanted to be close to downtown. Yes, we wanted to be uh, by the bike trails and, and that. But we so badly just wanted to be in community with our friends. We wanted to make sure that when we went tent camping, that we wanted to be in the presence of them, that we wanted to give them access to us and, and have access to them. And that's part of what made my camping trip so exciting, was knowing that we were doing this in a community of people and connecting with these people. Now, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they used to have to go and set up their tent. They used to have to set up their tent, make sure it was all right, and then they could have access to God. But then one day God said, no more. No more. I don't want this anymore. I want to have access to you always and you to have access to me always. And this is how awesome our God is, that he sent his son down for us. He said, now you can have my presence all the time. Now, John is, is desperate for us to understand God's amazing and incredible grace in this. So let's look again at verse 14. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. 
And this is kind of where John starts to uh, get a little personal, where John says uh, God's story and our story are going to cross and intersect. He says, we have seen his glory. It's Jesus. And he is full of grace and truth. Now, I want you to think of like maybe the most gracious person you know. Like who's the most loving person that you know? Is it mom? Is it dad? Is it your spouse, your husband, your wife? Is it, is it your grandma? Is it your grandpa? Who's that most gracious person that you know? Now, they may be the most gracious person you know on this earth, but they may also be um, human. And so that means they're going to fail. That means they're going to fail on you. That means they're going to let you down. They may judge you. They may hold back even some of that grace that they have. They're not perfect. But who John is describing, who Jesus is, is somebody completely different. He doesn't say Jesus has a little bit of grace. He doesn't even say John, John doesn't even say that Jesus has a lot of grace. He says that Jesus, that God is full of grace. He says that he is full of grace and truth. The grace he is talking about is God's undeserved love and favor. And the truth that he is talking about is the rightness for our life. Jesus is the rightness for our life. And then in verse 16, he amplifies this by saying, and from that fullness. So in 16, it says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace. Now, here's, here's John's uh, heart for this gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the good news. And it's for all. It's for everyone who can receive it. It says there, it says, all have received grace in place of grace. It's for everyone. Now, what happens if you take water and add more water to a cup? You get an overflowing cup of water, right? It just will start to overflow. And that's what God's grace is for us. God's grace is overflowing love for us, for his people, for his creation, now, I love the way uh, that, that Ken Hughes describes God's grace. He says this, uh, Grace is one of the precious words of our faith. The word originally meant charm and beauty, and scholars tell us that throughout all of its shades of meaning, grace maintains that basic idea. Grace is not only sufficient for salvation, but it brings beauty. John makes it very clear how we receive God's grace. We just simply need to have faith. We must simply believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And when you believe, it's out of this fullness you will receive grace upon grace. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about that you could summarize John's gospel up with one verse from John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, John's hope here is that everyone would believe that Jesus is the Messiah and have life. Now, I think we could sum up John chapter 1 uh, kind of just by this phrase, the amazing sufficiency of God's grace. Now, I'll say that again the amazing sufficiency of God's grace. Because Jesus offers more than just 
a saving grace. He offers an everlasting grace. Now, I want to look at one more verse before we uh, uh, sum up and finish up here today. It says, John 17 says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right, when you think of Moses, he was an amazing leader for the Israelites. He was an amazing leader in the Old Testament. He led his people uh, to connect with God. And, and one of the cool things that I love about Moses is that he had many moments where he himself was in the presence and connected with God. One of those moments is when he was able to have the Ten Commandments be given to him. And when he got the Ten Commandments, uh, he came down to his people and they were created so that God's people could stay connected to God, but also that God's people would stay connected to each other. These laws were given so that they could stay on the right path and not lose sight of God and fulfill their own selfish needs. When God's people would obey and be obedient to the God's law, then God would show them his favor. Now, if they got away from God's law, if they started to lose sight of God, that's when they would feel distant from their creator. Now, God didn't want us to think that following him was just about a bunch of rules. Because then we see in the New Testament, he gave us his son. That's when he says, no more, uh, not, we're not following rules. I want you to have a relationship with me. Because following Jesus, following God, is not about a bunch of rules. It truly is about having a relationship with him. The second verse, the second part of this says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right, we get to have grace and truth through Jesus. Jesus is God's love and favor. Jesus is what's right and what's good. The tent, as we know, as a tabernacle used to be the place where people would connect and come and experience God's goodness and his glory. But then God said, enough is enough. I want my people to have my glory and experience me always. God says, uh, I will give you my grace. I will give you my truth. I will give you all of me. Not because of anything we have done. Not because we deserve it or have earned it, but because God is a gracious God. You see, God wants to be in community with his creation, with his people. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth uh, to be with his people. He came to be the bridge between us and our Heavenly Father. He did this not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because he is a loving and gracious God. And it's out of his sufficiency or out, it's out of his fullness, sorry, it's out of his fullness that Jesus offers a new life. Uh, Jesus uh, gives us grace upon grace, a never-ending grace, a grace that we can't earn, and a grace that will never deplete. So I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to finish saying this. My prayer for you is the same as John's prayer. My prayer is that you would know Jesus as the Messiah, that you would put your faith and belief in him and accept his grace upon grace. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for uh, who you are. Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, your goodness and, and your love and your grace that you give us. God, we thank you so much that we no longer have to build a tent to be in your presence. We thank you that we don't have to, to worry about following rules to have your glory and, and your, your peace and your love. God, we thank you so much that you sent your son to die on a cross for our sins to give us salvation. God, we thank you for the baptism uh, uh, that we got to see today of somebody who says yes to you. God, we ask again that you will be with us always 
God, that we will find ways to connect with you daily. Uh, Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.